podcast starts. Hello, dear listener. I'm T.D. Velasquez, but you can call me Dan. As you'll know if you've listened to this show before, this is the podcast on which we mostly talk about horror. Sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we swear. Happy Boxing Day. This episode was meant to come out yesterday, but it didn't. I hope you had a good Christmas day. And I hope you are enjoying the rest of the festive period. Of course, Christmas doesn't finish on Christmas Day, even though it feels like sometimes it does. Technically, it begins on Christmas Day, so we are still in the middle of the festive period. And in fact, uh, my mum and I haven't really started our Christmas yet. We've been busy, which is one of the reasons why this podcast has been delayed. Um, So we still have most of the nice things like relaxing opening presents um, and that sort of thing to look forward to, which makes us lucky in a way. Um, I hope you're having a a lovely festive period and that the relaxation and the fun goes on as long as possible. Now, to this episode. So, as I said, mostly we talk about horror, but sometimes we talk about other things. And this episode is going to be One of those sometimes when we talk about other things. Um, It's also going to be, um, in a kind of Boxing Day tradition, uh, something of a repeat. Although, as used to be described in the Radio Times in the old days, um, it is a revised repeat. You may have heard most of it before, but not all of it. So today, Howard and I are going to be talking about Star Wars, which we consider part of... Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee's canon as they are both in different of the Star Wars movies. So a few years ago we recorded a discussion about all of their appearances across the series um, and that discussion has been available since the early days of our YouTube channel Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. So if you've heard it before, that's where you'll have heard it. However, this is going to be a little bit different as well as the main discussion, which features a couple of guests. Uh, We've recorded a new comedy sketch, as is traditional now, um, on the episodes about uh, Lee Cushing films. Uh, We record a sketch to set up the theme of the movie to be discussed, or movies. Um, so we've done that newly. It features the main guest of the episode, Sean Mason, as well as Howard in a little cameo. Um, he is obviously present a great deal in the main discussion, but he's not been able to record much um, in recent months. But he did record a little appearance in the sketch which i hope you'll enjoy there is also some more new content coming up obviously this discussion was a few years ago now there have been several star wars movies released since we did the discussion obviously none featuring christopher lee or peter cushing but i still thought it'd be nice to kind of follow up what we think about the more recent movies so we called back sean mason to discuss them Unfortunately, Howard couldn't be involved in the update discussion, so we have another of our favourite guests, Spider-Dan, to fill in for him. That discussion will not be part of the episode that you're listening to now. It's going to be released in an updated segment that will come to you in a few days once I've edited it. It's going to be part of a number of um, seasonal a holiday content, some of which will be revised repeats, others will be new things, which will come out over the next, hopefully, few days during the festive period. So, 
um, you've got those things to look forward to too. So hopefully we will make up for our lack of timeliness with an abundance of content for you over the next couple of weeks. So let's go to the sketch and from that we'll go into the discussion recorded back in 2017 following the release of the movie Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Modern day me will be back at the end with a little bit extra. So you're about to hear the sketch. I hope you'll be pleased with the soundscape on it. Um, I have to acknowledge that the soundscape was not my work. Um, I stole it without permission, to be honest, from a YouTube channel um, who I'm going to apologise to now but also plug. The channel is called Lucid Dimensions and offers um, detailed and lengthy soundscapes for use in gaming, roleplay, that kind of thing. Um, and the work is really excellent. Um, I would have reached out to Lucid Dimensions and asked permission. Um, it was only the time factor which prompted me to just grab the sound, which is freely available. Um, but I do recommend that you check out that channel. Uh, you may also recognise some of the music used in the scene. So, thank you for coming to the interview today, Mr. Um, Trevatha Marpa. I'm Grand Moff Tarkin, and this is my colleague, Mr. Vader. Hello. Would you like to tell us why you want to work at the Death Star? Uh, I, I need a change of scene, really. What was your previous employment? I was a farmer on a sand planet. It was a bit dull. Well, we can certainly offer you a contrasting environment. But do you have any security experience? Oh, yes. Twenty years ago, I used to be the head of irritant management for Count Dooku. You know Count Dooku, uh, Darth Tyrannus. Ah, I think we did meet, possibly. Ten or twenty times, plus a few near misses. How did you find the experience? Well, it was good for a while. He was a firm but fair boss. Lovely speaking voice. But then... Then? Well, he changed. He was conference calling all the time with this Sith Lord, Darth Sidious. You couldn't get a meeting with him. Dooku starts to get the idea that now he's a Sith Lord too, so he doesn't need staff anymore. There are only ever two Sith and they can do everything between them. Ah. Very foolish to under-resource. Yeah, I thought he was daft. And he's playing with his lightsaber all the time, flashing it around the place, jumping up and down. Very undignified, I thought, for a man of his age. Don't worry, there'll be nothing like that here. Well, I thought I might... There'll be nothing like that here, Vader. Sorry. Do go on. Oh, well... Finally, he lays us all off, out on our ear like we meant nothing at all. And he swans off. I thought at the time, I thought, that's hubristic and arrogant, that's a mistake. And I was right, because not long after, someone chops his head off. I bet he wished he had a support team on that morning. Indeed. Well, that's the end of my questions. Vader? No, nothing for me. Is there anything you'd like to ask us, Mr. Marper? Aren't you going to ask me anything about my suitability for the role? 
Oh, the role is very non-specific. You'll be fine. As long as you're good at sitting down, wearing a stupid helmet, and have a very lax attitude to safety barriers. That's the marketplace these days. Great. So, when do I start? May the 4th? I would like our first special guest to introduce himself. Uh, hi, my name's Sean Mason. Um, I'm a massive Star Wars nerd, uh, actor, improviser, geek, uh, dispenser of opinions. <laughs> and lovely man. Yeah, he's very nice. Yeah. Man, yes. Of course, uh, the listeners know, hopefully by now, the listeners know me and Howard. Hello. And also, um, we have another special guest, which is uh, my friend Tim. Um, unfortunately, he couldn't be here in person, so I've paid Guy Henry to imitate his voice <laughs> and CG'd his face, so he looks a bit like Tim. So, um, Guy Henry playing Tim, can you please introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Dan's friend Tim, and I'm a filmmaker, and I've always loved Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, and I have to admit, I, I knew about Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee and, and loved them dearly before I knew about Star Wars. Nice. So, th so um, that's that's our first question. Um, Sean obviously has explained that you're a Star Wars yeah. nerd, so I guess you knew about Star Wars before you really knew who Cushing or uh, Lee were. Well, certainly for Peter Cushing, I, I mean, my first Star Wars was the special editions. 20 years ago in 1997, so... Great days. Um, yes, they were. To the extent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, which, which I think is possibly why I've been so uh, generous in my opinions of later Star Wars films, because my, my first Star Wars wasn't the, the so-called pure Star Wars. I came to it 20 years too late, but I was only 10 years old, so I probably had seen Peter Cushing in something but didn't know it was Peter Cushing until... Until uh, until a new hope. Uh, whereas by the time uh, we got round to Attack of the Clones, um, I'd I'd have seen uh, the Wicker Man. Probably shouldn't have because I was probably still <laughs> too young to comprehend what I'd seen. Uh, but I was certainly more aware of Christopher Lee uh, by 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 that point. Uh, I, yeah, I remember the early two thousands because that was the point when I didn't have to explain who Christopher Lee was to anyone by saying, you know, he's that guy from Gremlins Two, the new batch. Well, he'd 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 had a bit of a career resurgence at that point as well. Mm. There'd, there'd been because of the Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings, which is if not the two towers came out in the same year as Attack of the Clones, mm. um, and then you had he'd been cameoing in Tim Burton films at that point. And yeah, and continued to do so yeah. for a while. God bless you. So, how about you, Howard? Well, yeah, when I first Star Wars, when I first saw well, Star Wars in nineteen seventy-seven, mm. I didn't know who anybody was. I didn't know my actors' names. I was just about six years old, so I just didn't. They were just people on the mm -hmm. screen. My 
interesting Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee came later on when I got into horror films. I think The Ghoul was the first film I ever saw Peter Cushing in. Wow. I, again, I should have been watching it. But, <laughs> you know, he did. Um, I might have seen him as Doctor Who by then, I don't know, but I certainly remember him in The Ghoul. So, uh, but yeah, for Star Wars, um, no, I didn't know. I didn't know. I probably recognised him, you know, but I didn't know who he was or who any of them were. I came really late to Star Wars, and I was already a Doctor Who fan, so I'd seen Peter Cushing as Doctor Who. I think I'd already seen him as Sherlock Holmes as well. Yeah. Um, but my, and I didn't even know that he was in Star Wars. I remember picking up Alan Dean Foster's novelisation of Star Wars in my school library and seeing a photo <laughs> of Peter Cushing and, and thinking, I don't want to see him playing a villain. Um, uh, which is interesting because I, because it was my first. My my first uh, meeting with Peter Cushing, I suppose, <laughs> was the first encounter. Is the word I was looking for <laughs> <laughs> was I was so surprised to find actually no, he he generally played good guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think he just does it so well, and clearly is is having such a a ball with with Star Wars, unlike yeah. other uh, fesps. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and I think you can see in the behind the scenes footage. That, that he, he's just kind of loving being there and everybody else was loving having him there. Well, well, I think it's that... I mean, I think the difference between Peter Cushing and, say, uh, Alec, Alec Guinness in Star Wars, uh, one, Peter Cushing did not have to go to the shoot in Tunisia, which was, by all accounts, uh, a terrible time. Um, but also, um, because Cushing had done so much genre stuff, I think I had a love for genre... And and I believe was really just excited to have a whole new audience discover his work off the back of Star Wars because that was the thing. with Star Wars, no one knew who anyone was. It made so many names and so many careers, yeah. and even the people who had been working for a long time, they were suddenly on on this huge global uh, stage that they might not necessarily have been before. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. I think I mean, just like. I was seven years old, whatever. I know, I knew who Kenny Baker was and Peter Mayhew. Yeah, you know th- these names were so familiar because they were interviewed all the time and the posters and everything. You know, I didn't know who the hell they were. I didn't see anything else, but I knew who Anthony Daniels. These names were so kind of ubiquitous that um, you just knew them. You just knew who these, these these first actors. I knew who they were. You know, so yeah. Um, I've been a big fan of Kenny Baker's ever since. <laughs> so my second question to each of us is. Uh, what do you first think of when you hear the name Star Wars? And I'll give Tim the first go at this as per. When I think of Star Wars, I think of John Williams' iconic main theme. I think of that that swelling fanfare, and I think of the opening credit crawl. Good answer. How about you, Sean? Um, I actually think of the end, the ending of the first Star Wars film. Um, like I said, uh, I first saw it uh, in the Northwich Regal. Uh, 1997 uh, Star Wars New Hope Special Edition and as f- maybe this is a rose-tinted uh, memory but all, all I can remember is that cinema being absolutely full of fathers and sons which is very apt for this series and when the Death Star blew up I remember many of the dads like Going yeah, and I'd never seen that reaction from a British audience. Wow, uh, it's it's very common, you know, like particularly in America, to for mm. cinema audiences to get that involved. But I'd never seen that with a British audience, and that was I, I, not, I didn't word it like this because I was ten, but uh, that was <laughs> it was my first kind of realization of cinema as an event. 
it's something you go to see and, and experience as a big group and, and to take part in these massive stories. And I remember watching Revenge of the Sith, uh, same cinema. As far as we were concerned, it was going to be the last Star Wars film that we would see on the big screen. And the manager of the cinema had to walk in and say, will all of the Jedis and the Sith please sit down? <laughs> the film is about to begin because a lot of people, opening day, had turned up in, in costumes, were just having a big lightsaber fight in front of the <laughs> cinema. And it was amazing. And it's something um, that, that makes them so universal and so exciting. Mm. Lovely. How about you, Howard? Um, I think of that opening shot, which would be the first scene. Yes, I think of the music, the fanfare yeah. and the... the introductory crawl and everything but that opening the first scene I would ever see in the cinema would be the little spaceship going past mm -hmm. and then this enormous spaceship just coming from the top of the screen yeah. and which in a way is a bit like Star Wars itself the way just Star Wars kind of took over the world and mm -hmm. just filled the world for the, in 1977 it was so if you weren't around then you don't even now I don't think people know how just how big it was because there's nothing like it before now when a big film comes out there have been other big films before it so we mm -hmm. kind of know what to expect this took everybody by surprise and it was just Incredible, and we all loved it. Everybody, everybody, even even the lads at school who played football liked Star Wars because it just kind of, um, it was so, it's kind of in inclusive. Sort of like it wasn't a complicated science fiction story. It was a very simple story that everybody could understand, and so everybody enjoyed it. So, but I just think of that opening shot with that with the two spaceships. And, and again, yeah, the, the music, which the music certainly. So, but in that shot, it's yeah. so powerful, um, and. Uh, for me, I think mainly I think of lightsabers. I think the whole th mm -hmm. because I came to it quite late. The ho the whole thing is a little bit mashed up with other things for me. Like when the Star Wars special editions came out, I made sure I went to see the first one, not because uh, of it being Star Wars, but because I thought this was probably my last chance to see Peter Cushing on the big screen. Um, little did I know that four years later I'd be at university watching loads of Hammer films and stuff. But you know, um, but there's something so primal about the lightsaber. It's such an iconic mm. thing, and certainly whenever um, a new Star Wars film came out, uh, for good or ill, it, yeah, the prequels. Um, looking back on them, I think they were probably terrible. Some people even said they were at the time. I always enjoyed them, and I remember distinctly on uh, after certainly the first two not being able to function for the next 48 hours without going <laughs> things. I was walking around a shift, I was on a night shift at a nursing home the day that I saw Attack of the Clones, and I was walking around the corridors in the middle of the night fighting imaginary droids and things. And it was ridiculous, because I was like 22 or 3 or something. But Well, you, you said I'm, I'm, I'm 29 now, and I... Uh, <laughs> I bought a lightsaber last week, because <laughs> uh, why not? And, you know, I was really excited. I found on eBay the the 1997 um, Power of the Force Han Solo blaster on eBay for 15 quid, when normally it was 50, and that was a very exciting day. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I was, I'm such a nerd. I think, yeah. I, I mean, again, I think of the toys. I think of the yeah. figures, especially the action figures. I had a Death Star which was just the most brilliant thing. Now, it was just a lot of cardboard with pictures painted on it, but I played with that damn thing until wow. it collapsed. I, I, And it was great, yeah, because you kind of, thinking about Star Wars, you could recreate it. Yeah. You know, you had the figures and you could have your own adventures with it. And, and Yeah, I mean, and that kind of thing uh, created a template for 
toys and uh, and it shaped generations of childhoods. I mean, I was a bit late to it, as I say, but I remember loving having a, a set of toys based on Manta Force, um, <laughs> which is basically a very similar Star Wars thing. There's a whole kind of sci-fi universe in there that you could play around with, and it, I think it all came from. From from Star Wars, that kind of stuff. The aesthetic as well, the design of spaceships and oh, yeah. characters. Um, before we go on to the next question, I'm just going to drop in a comment, which I'll probably edit to earlier. Um, when you were talking about Cushing, kind of connecting with a new audience. Um, well, this was 1977, um, for those of you who aren't sure, when this movie came out. <laughs> and this was 20 years after Cushing's breakthrough in The Curse of Frankenstein. And... Um, Certainly Jonathan Rigby says in his book that Cushing was very conscious of exactly 20 years later appearing in another movie that basically changed a genre uh, and changed cinema in a way. Um, and he was he, he was really hoping and looking forward to the possibility that it, he would go on to make lots more movies like that. He didn't. No, bless um, him. Well, it's a, it's a shame, really, that uh, Tarkin... Dies. Spoilers. I know you've you've had had forty years to watch it, Um, (laughs) but yeah, it is. It's a shame that that he he dies because, and I I think we'll get onto this Mm. later. But there's no other imperial officer that has the same uh, effect, no, or or standing, no. There's Uh, even in Rogue One. Interesting point. Um, okay, so I would agree with that. I'll move on to the next point. question. So the next question is: What was the first Star Wars film you saw, and how did you see it? So um, again, I'll let Tim take the floor first. First Star Wars film I saw was actually Return of the Jedi. I believe I saw it in I think it was it must have been Christmas 1989, and it was on TV. I think it, I believe it was the ITV premiere of the film. Well, Sean, you've kind of already answered this. <laughs> yeah, and um, unless. I was saying, just from opening shot to the last shot, I was just in silence, uh, just in awe of of this whole film and everything and everyone in it. Yeah. Wow. Howard? Well, yeah, um, the first Star Wars film I saw was called Star Wars. We didn't mess around with Later on, it was called The New Hope or something. Uh, and it was a great, it was my first visit to the cinema, which was so exciting, Shrewsbury. And I think December 1977 or early 78, I don't know, but it was just... So excited! The whole you see, I think when you love a film like this, it's as much to do with the circumstances of how you saw it and who you saw it with and yeah. when you saw it and everything as a film itself. Although it is a great film, and for that to be the first film I ever saw in cinema, um, it was so exciting. If the first film I'd ever seen was Warlords of Atlantis, I might have a different attitude. But the first film I saw in the cinema <laughs> was Star Wars. It's a great which was first so, film. Yeah, it's one of the first film. And then twenty years later, when the special edition came out. And I was uh, very lucky enough to be going out with a girl called Helen, and she'd never seen Star Wars in the cinema. So I said, you got to go and see it. So I went to Highton in Liverpool, where she lived. Uh, and this was the special edition. Uh, and I think I sat there all the way through going, well, that wasn't in the original, you know. And that wasn't in the original. And no, they didn't do that. And no, that's been added. Um, she dumped me a few weeks later. But... Um, <laughs> no, she didn't. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, 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 she didn't. No, but I was doing that because I had such strong memories of yeah. the original... And I just thought, I don't, it doesn't need all this extra, I don't think. A few more stormtroopers on the Death Star, a few more creatures in Mos Eisley. I don't think it needs that. I, I think that's just tinkering with it. I just think it was perfect as it was. And I think that was the first indication that George Lucas was becoming a little bit intoxicated by the new technology, by CGI, and was led on to The Phantom Menace. 
Uh, potentially with a new hope. I mean, there's a lot of the changes in the new hope um, don't necessarily hold up today. Largely the stuff that's on Tatooine, and that's I think largely down to the CGI. But I think uh, the X-wing battle at the end and and some of the the Death Star stuff is great. I think the the best additions that were made in the special uh, in the special editions uh, were the changes that were made to Empire. Uh, with the one per attack and expanding lots of people cloud city and i think that's the one that most benefited from the from the changes and well, even gary kurtz who was the producer of the first two films and didn't have nothing to do with the later ones or the special editions said that he approved of the stuff they did to empire but the rest of it was a bit kind of crazy in his opinion that they felt the need to do that um my uh first encounters with Star Wars was a bit um, kind of uh, piecemeal. The first one I ever saw in about 1986 when I was at primary school and we had one of those nice Friday afternoons where lessons are called off and they put a movie on a very small (laughs) TV in the corner of the assembly hall and Mr. Saul, our headmaster, introduced it by saying, I think you're going to like this. It's quite an old film, <laughs> but you'll find it quite exciting, I'm sure. And uh, it came on, and it was The Empire Strikes Back in Pan and Scan VHS, which is obviously the worst film to introduce uh, the, the concept of Star Wars, especially to a child. And, and, and certainly in Pan and Scan, that is... On a tiny TV. That is tantamount <laughs> to abuse. <laughs> huh. Um so I just, I mean, I, I mainly remember the the, um, the Battle of Hoth and, mm. and thinking things were cool, but not having any real idea what was going on. Later on, obviously now and again, Star Wars films would be on the TV in the 80s, and but I would always miss them somehow. And I, d- I do remember one of them was on over Christmas, and I must have seen a trailer for what I thought was the film. I thought it was a trailer for the film, but I think it was probably actually a trailer for everything mm. that ITV was showing over Christmas. And so it cut like bits of the Star Wars film together with bits of things that might have been like Brideshead revisited and various other. So I'm sure I saw Luke flying an X-wing over a country house, <laughs> and, I, and I then thought that must have been how Star Wars began, like it started on Earth. Um, but I never. Saw, it wasn't for like another decade. I went to America on holiday with my sister, my good old sister Maureen, who we keep mentioning on this yes. podcast, and she hello, listens Maureen. to it. So hello, Maureen. Um, in '95, and it was it was at the exact point when they were re-releasing the original trilogy on VHS in its unmessed with form, and they were actually saying it will never be available again, so you must buy it. And we were in America; the advertising for that was everywhere. So I thought it's about time I watched this. So as soon as I got back to Britain, I got all of the three movies out of the library and watched them all in one night in a six-hour sitting, and had a great time. And then made my own. A fake VHS box for it with my own artwork on the front cover and uh, yeah I, and uh, just as a as an appendum that's not even a word no just as an addendum to what yeah. you guys were saying it wasn't too long after that that the special editions came out and although I know which bits have been added I can't really remember what they looked like before they were changed so the special editions have kind of overwritten the originals in my memory. I've, I've no idea what the the battle at the end used to look like. See, I, I very definitely remember less X wings. I I, yeah. I mean, I remember that the the um, Death Star blowing up didn't used to look like 
the Klingon planet blowing up in Star Trek Six. That was the main. <laughs> even even at the time, that was clear. Well, well, the main thing was the inclusion of a scene they cut out um, where Han Solo was talking to um, John Jabba the Hutt. No, I know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which originally in the original was just an actor. Yeah. Called Declan Mulholland. It was Declan Mulholland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a big burly Irish actor who looks fairly alien, even without makeup on. <laughs> um, uh, and they cut that out because it was kind of just repeated what the Credo scene had done. Uh, and then so they put that back in. Only they superimposed the new Jabba the Hutt over. And I suppose yeah, I can see that. I can see it's all like why they did that. I just thought the rest of it, because the original is so definite in my mind yeah. that anything's added to it st- stands out mm-hmm. more than, than perhaps it would for other people. And it was fine. And now that we're... But I enjoyed it because it was a very I think it's strange time. that uh, Disney have recently said they still wouldn't release the original version of it, like a restored original cut. And I do think it's... But now that they're making... I feel like that was part of the deal. Yeah. When, when they got Lucasfilm, that was part of the deal, was they weren't they weren't able to do that. Sure. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Uh, obviously, it's something George Lucas felt strongly about. But yeah, they're making new movies which go out of their way to look and feel like m- movies made in the 70s, yeah. essentially. But they're not releasing the original films the way they were. Well, they also can't because what they what was always nice about Star Wars was everything in the expanded universe counted, even when it didn't. And... Now they're they're trying to have a much more confined and and concise and controlled canon. So if they they release two versions of the same film, I think that's just going to... That's... Confuse that. That's that's my artistic argument (laughs) for it anyway. I can see that point of view. Okay, so if we move on to the next question. So, do you think you would like Star Wars or any of the sequels or prequels less if they didn't feature Cushing or Lee? If so... What do you think was special about their contribution to the films? And again, I'll let Tim take the lead. Muff Tarkin is my favourite character in all of the Star Wars films, and he's certainly my favourite villain. So, um, yeah, I mean, the first Star Wars film is is definitely my favourite, the 1977 one. And um, one of the things that I love about the film is that it's all before Star Wars became this massive pop cultural phenomenon and there you know there isn't a huge reverence for uh, you know the the force and um, and Darth Vader he's nothing's sort of iconic in it and you really feel that when they made it Cushing and Alec Guinness were the two big stars that were in it and there was nobody for anybody else to impress upon in the film and I think when you watch that scene, that amazing scene in, in like, it's, I think it's a boardroom with a big round table and Cushing comes in and sits down. If you look on YouTube, there's a, a camera angle from what, just one ca- camera angle of, um, of that scene. And um, you just see it all played out. And what you can see is that Cushing is just held in such high regard by all the, these other kind of jobbing, kind of speaking actors who are around the table. And they're looking up to him like he's he's some kind of god. And uh, I, you know, I, I love that the film was made in Elstree at that time in the mid seventies. And Dan's probably mentioned this in podcasts previously, but um, Hammer Horror was used to be based at Bray Studios during kind of the the fifties and sixties. And then when it came to the seventies, they moved to to Boreham Wood to Elstree Studios. And uh, I really like that they came to you know Star Wars came to 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 Elstree, and at that point. It, I don't think it was even functioning as a studio. They they closed it, and um, they took this kind of iconic celebrity of Boreham Wood 
and made him the kind of star, one of the stars along with Guinness of, of, of this, this sci-fi film. And um, yeah, and as I say, in this round table sequence, you can see just everybody's just looking at Cushing in, in, in adoration and um, and he holds, he's the glue that holds it together. You just see what a professional he is too. And he, he was kind of, you know, he was kind of pre, um, you know, pre-Brando, I guess, pre, um, pre-Method as well. You know, his acting style, it, it, it kind of lent itself roots of the, you know, English uh, theatre. And um, he, he um, yeah, he just, he has this gentlemanly-like quality. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of, um, of his performance of, uh, as uh, Moff Tarkin. Uh, and as I say, I love that in the, in the first film, um, the actual character of Tarkin, he doesn't have any regard for, for, for the Force or, or even Vader. You know, he's just kind of seen as a glorified henchman. Um, and I love that view of it. I love that you can go back to that film, whereas with, you know, even like the, 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 like all the, 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 the following films, Vader is, it has his own big, you know, musical John Williams march when he enters the room. Everyone kind of bows before him. He see, you know, he's big, you know. And we've got the um, the prequels as well that actually tells his backstory. So it's all kind of become about him. And I like in that in that in that first 1977 one, the villain really is Cushing. He completely owns that film. Cushing's target. He's he is he is the the principal bad guy, and um, and he's. He's he's a pantomime villain and he's brilliant and it, it and it feels very self-contained when you watch it too. It doesn't have this sense of a kind of bigger um, world uh, and I like his viewpoint. I love that. I, I mean, I, I go back to that round table scene. I love it when he sat around it and and Darth Vader starts to to use his his grasp of the Force on that guy's throat. And uh, that actor, by the way, is uh, I believe is set the the actor Sarah Douglas's um, husband. Well, was at the time her, her husband. Um, and anyway, he's yeah he's using this this grasp of the force, and um, to block this guy's throat. And he says this bickering is pointless, and he kind of moves it along, and it's it's just seen as uh, you know he just trivializes this banter, and he sees that the force is kind of an extension to that. He sees it as a glorified party trick. It's nothing that can do anything. And of course, in the film later on, that's the whole you know that that helps Luke. Uh, you know when he turns his, off his targeting device, he he uses the force to to you know to to destroy Cushing, and uh, it's brilliant. It's really really well done. Um, but you, you, it really gives you a sense that um, you know he's just this guy with this big Death Star, and he he's he's into sort of this fascist bureaucracy, and uh, you know I, I love I I, yeah, I love his performance, and I love that character, um, and uh, I love the scene too with uh, right at the end when the, the Death Star is about to explode, uh, one of my favourite moments in the in the in the the trilogy and i'd say actually probably my favorite performance in the in in all of those films is um what i believe is 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 an out is not an outtake but it was a a, a bit of film from when they were doing the clapperboard at the beginning of of, of the shot of um, this this kind of mid shot of uh, Cushing and he's got his his hand across his his face uh, and he's thinking about he looks like he's thinking about um you know what's coming and you're kind of reading his mind thinking Oh, he maybe now he just realizes that the rebellion might just have a chance, and then 
we cut to that shot of the, the Death Star blowing up, and it's fantastic. It's just a great moment. Uh, yeah, and apparently it's just this 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 bit where um, they they just they used a, they needed the shot of a close up of him, and they got it. And it's not of him performing; it's of him getting ready to remember his lines. And um, <laughs> I, I think that's you know that 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 lends it so much. So yeah, no, I'm I'm a, a huge fan of, um, of Peter Cushing. The one of the other things that I I, uh, I really like. Uh, about him is his influence on Carrie Fisher and she's spoken of how she she um, you know she she loved Peter Cushing and she found him this soft gentleman and um, she she found it problematic that she didn't find him terrifying at all as a villain on screen uh, you know and acting next to him because he was just such a lovely gentleman and uh, you can hear in her diction too she has this kind of English rose you know princess thing going on where she the way she, she talks she talks like this across all of the films and uh, she doesn't do that in the force awakens and um i like to think that you know that was his shadow across those films curiously enough too i mean um on uh uh supergirl the the the, the film that was uh, also shot in britain not that long after star wars they had a they had uh, peter o'toole as this alec guinness kind of character and uh, similarly, I've heard Helen Slater, who played Supergirl, who's American, saying how, you know, when she came over, she was very much influenced by him and she, she, she very much liked his, his stage acting quality. You know, she, this soft, gentlemanly light touch. So these really young American women seem to, to, to love that. And two, you can hear like Leia and Supergirl, they both have this, this kind of very delicate kind of English tone to their voice when they talk. And I think that's all sweet. I love how that feeds into all of the films. I think that's really, really, really nice Count Doku uh, I don't know those films you know the prequels as, as well as I do um, certainly the 1977 Star Wars but uh, I mean wasn't it a thrill to see him on the big screen in uh, you know in, in a Star Wars film uh, kind of spiritually linking Lee and and and, uh, and Cushing into this other franchise I remember seeing the film actually the uh, the Attack of the Clones uh, with Dan or did I? I'm not sure if we saw that together or if we saw the one afterwards. But uh, I just remember us being sort of mutually thrilled at the, the notion of those two being in it. And um, yeah, no, that that was that was very nice. I don't know if I'd like the films less, honestly, um, but they would certainly not be as good at the same time. Uh, particularly, I mean, I think what's what's really great about uh, certainly Cushing in 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 Star Wars is he has this gravitas and this charm and this very cold um, kind of exterior, but you can see lots of things going on, and he is the only Imperial officer really in the whole series who can actually keep Vader on a leash. Sure. No one else can do that. And, you know, for, for the other two films in that trilogy, everyone else is in fear or awe of Darth Vader. Yeah. Uh, Tarkin is the only one who isn't. And I think you needed an actor of Cushing's calibre and ability to kind of portray that, to be a human face of, mm. of the Empire. And also, I think... A testament, particularly to Cushing's performance, is how much interest that generated in wanting to know more about Tarkin. You know, Tarkin has since uh, had novels, 
Uh, he's been in the Star Wars Rebels series. I think he even cameoed in uh, the Clone Wars. And, you know, we want to know more about him. And we we remember him because of, I think, what Cushing did that made him so uh, so menacing and so threatening. You know, at, at the end of Revenge of the Sith, and you had the, the CGI shot where you just had the, the Death Star being built in the background and sure. this... A digital recreation of, um, of of Tarkin, and it was just those cheekbones, and instantly identifiable. You knew who it was. Oh yeah. And um, that's very much, I think, down to down to Cushing. Uh, with, with Christopher Lee in in Attack of the Clones, he adds gravitas to that film. Um, mm. It's a shame that he is in the worst Star Wars film. <laughs> uh, but he is in the best half of the worst Star Wars film. Like half of Attack of the Clones is really good. The stuff with Obi Wan uh, following Jango Fett and the creation of the clone army is really good. People falling in love and complaining about sand is <laughs> is, is just tedious. But 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 Christopher Lee, he like the the scene when I've captured Obi Wan and and uh, Count Dooku at that point is trying to turn Obi-Wan say look you know Qui-Gon uh, was your mentor but I was his mentor and he'd have seen things that the way I do and and they were starting to play with those shades of grey and I think they needed an actor like Christopher Lee again to present a character that you were never really quite sure if he was a villain or just a misunderstood good guy who had a point and he did know that that the Sith had infiltrated the uh, Republic and actually he was trying to do a good thing and then they had that twist act you know he is Darth Tyrannus and but because uh, there's that mercurial quality that Christopher Lee has that he is you could completely buy that oh maybe he has a point and completely buy no, no, he's he's playing a game here, and he's and he's a villain. Because even when he plays heroes, he's kind of scary. Yeah, he, he has that um, that authority. He was quite scary when he's being interviewed by Jonathan Ross. <laughs> so you know, you, you just there's just a sense yeah. like you don't want to cross this man. And I think that moment in Attack of the Clones, which I've not seen in its original form since it came out, but I do remember that that he has that line where he says to Obi Wan. It may be difficult to secure your release. Yeah, and, and there's a wonderful play on uh, of, of tension in that line. And me and my friend laughed our heads off because of how we kind of uh, rode that line of um, irony. Yeah, in, in saying that line of dialogue. So, yeah, I, I think that movie is immeasurably better because he's in it. Um, even though um, there was a review in... Sorry, I've answered the question without giving you the chance, Howard. But, yeah, um, uh, the, there was a review in Sight and Sound that said that um, he was great, although his his character is differentiable only in wardrobe um, from uh, Saruman in The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> same, I know, it, it was the, the, more or less the same time. But, yeah, I... <coughs> yeah, I did... I'll rephrase my original answer. Uh, Star Wars is not necessarily better because of Cushing, but but really uses him and, and is and great value from him. Whereas Attack of the Clones is certainly better from having yes. Christopher Lee in it. 
Uh, and it's a shame, really. He's kind of wasted in in, in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. Uh, he ha- he has some moments. Um, he has some uh, some great lines in, in the two or three minutes he's actually in the film. Mm. Um, and that slight moment of terror when when Palpatine tells Anakin to kill him, and he kind of looks off to the side. Yeah, and, and he it's like he he knows that he's going to die, but I think he he also knows he probably has to or something. Yeah, um, it's it's the Sith way. There's yeah. a very subtle realization on his face that's very Christopher Lee. Anyway, Howard, I should let you answer. This well, question. no, I mean with Star Wars, like I said, because when I first saw it, I didn't know who any of them mm. were. I didn't know who Peter Cushing was, so I didn't have any preconceptions. Um, with Star Wars, no, I don't think it would make any difference. With Peter, uh, he gives a good performance and everything, but it's it's a kind of such a small part that he doesn't do a lot. I can I can think of other actors who perhaps could have played that. Part. Not not as well or not as mm-hmm. you know, but uh, so no, it, it doesn't really sort of make that much difference for me. I think it's Harrison Ford, Ali Guinness, in Star Wars who make, make who the are film. the key performances yeah. who make yeah. that film. And without them, it would have been, I think, a lesser film. But I agree with what you say about Christopher Lee. I mean, I'd have to watch Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones again because my when I first saw them on the telly, I didn't see them in the cinema. Uh, I kind of went in with the attitude, even before I'd seen them, I thought I'd, I'm not going to like these. They're not going to be as good as the old ones. Mm. So that was, I was kind of, but my nephew was about five or six at the time. He loved them. He really yeah. enjoyed them. So I thought, well, it's not really, I'm just an old fart. It doesn't really matter what I think. If he's really enjoying them, then they're good films. Then they're doing their job and they're working. But I did see Attack of the Clones and I thought, yeah, I think you're right. Christopher Lee does give it that gravity. He gives it a kind of humanity. He's like a human being mm. amidst all the yeah. CGI and all the animation. And he's somebody you can sort of, I mean, he'd become such an iconic figure by then. Yeah. He'd be, you know, and in the Lord of the Rings and everything, he, he, because he'd survived so long, Peter Cushing was dead, Vincent Price was dead, Donald Pleasence was dead, mm. all those sort of mm. fantasy icons got, and he was still around, so he was the one that was in all these things. And I just think he gives it a sort of uh, somebody you can empathise with, and just you, you know, sort of like he gives it a certain grandeur. I yeah, think. he really yeah. does, and I, and I loved um, just again I was at uni at the time but the weirdness of walking around council estates in Sheffield mm. and seeing blockbuster movie posters with Christopher mm. you know they did like character <laughs> yes. posters with just one character on each one and there was one which was just Count Dooku with his little bendy lightsaber <laughs> what the hell wow why well, do you think the name Dooku uh, is a bit it reminds you of Count Ducula but it's but it's in that long tradition of, of weird yeah. Star Wars names <laughs> and, and actually I completely agree about um Christopher Lee brings something real mm. to it, uh, and which is why in Revenge of the Sith he does this forward flip for no reason to get off a balcony. Like, well, that was clearly not Christopher Lee, and and I don't, but I don't buy that. Mm. Um, Christopher Lee also does get what I think is actually a cool moment. I know there's a lot of people that don't like it, but he gets to fight Yoda. Yeah, yeah, and nice. and that sequence. Uh, was was cool that moment when Yoda when we saw that sparked up his lights. I was laughing my head off, but enjoying it. Yeah, I was kind of thinking, I'm not sure this is appropriate. It, you know, it, it this possibly violates the character of Yoda or something. It takes away some of the mysticism, but it's great fun. This ridiculous, you know, <laughs> this little kind of muppet leaping yeah. around in the air and having a fight with a man who's. Four times his height yes. and eighty, <laughs> both jumping around, and uh, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed that. Um, for for my take on that question, I would say that I mean clearly because I, I was 
almost seeing Star Wars 4 Cushing. I would love it a bit less, but I agree with um, what you're both saying, that I don't think he makes the movie. It's not like if Star Wars existed with, without Peter Cushing in it, I wouldn't want to see it and I wouldn't love it as yeah. a film. I think I would. And in fact, I remember once I was watching it at home and my mum, who's a massive Star Wars hater, right. she took her chi- children... Well, no one's perfect. <laughs> well, indeed. She took her children, not including me at the time I wasn't born yet, to the pictures in 1977 to see a double bill of Star Wars and Close Encounters which is another film that she hates. And right. I think she just has that four hours in enshrined in her memory as something. She, she's just like, at the end when they were flying the, into the Death Star to blow it, I was just like, blow it up! <laughs> um, anyway, she was in the back of the room and I was watching Star Wars and she'd obviously kind of suppressed most of the film from her memory, but she could hear Peter Gushing talking to all the mm. characters. And she just went, who's that actor? Is that Roddy McDowell? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, and it, it could have been someone. Well, yeah, Roddy McDowell could have done it. You know, in his way. You know, I, mean, I can think of other actors who could have played Tarkin. I love yeah. Peter Cushing. I'm glad he's in it and he's really great. But I can think of other because I mean, it's a fairly small part. I, I mean, I don't know if I if I necessarily agree. I think I think Peter Cushing doesn't make Star Wars, but Peter Cushing makes the villain, and I think that's what's mm. so great about it. Um. And I, I certainly couldn't imagine anyone else in that role. And and obviously, they, they couldn't imagine anyone else in that role when they came along to do Rogue One. Sure, well, yeah, clearly, which we'll come to. Um, yeah, I mean, I think other actors could have played that part, but very few would have had the kind of stature about them to make it convincing that they kind of could frighten Vader or could control mm. Vader. I'm not sure Roddy McDowell could have done that. Well, he could. Okay. <laughs> End of discussion. Right. He told me. Well, that, that that has been another episode. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying anything. Um, so. Oh, and just very quickly, uh, Christopher Lee also uh, adds gravitas to uh, the Clone Wars film, the kind of forgotten Clone Wars film. Yes. Uh, it, it wasn't him that voiced uh, Count Dooku in the subsequent TV series, but when they were trying to launch the show by putting the pilot. In cinemas, which was a mistake, and I think because it it gave that film a level of expectation that it couldn't meet. Sure. Uh, but actually, if, if you kind of look at it outside of that context and just look at it as a ninety-minute pilot for mm. what was a very good animated show, it's actually pretty good. Okay. Um, but yeah, he 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 lends a Christopher Lee lends a credibility to that film, which is otherwise forgotten. I'd like to see it for that reason. I really wanted to watch it for this podcast, but I wasn't able yeah. to to find it. Um, I've never seen the Clone Wars either. But yes, that's something that I'd like to look into. So our, our next question is, bringing us kind of smack up to date, um, how did you react to the CGI version of Cushing Stroke Tarkin in Rogue One? Do you approve, or do you think they could have done better? And once again, I'm going to give the first reaction to this to good old Tim. I thought the CGI Tarkin in, in Rogue One was... Um, it was very ambitious. I don't know if the technology is there yet or if it will ever be there yet either. Although having said that, we've seen amazing, amazing things in uh, in visual effects such as uh, you know Captain America where they made Chris Evans look really, really skinny or in um, Ant-Man where they made Michael Douglas look really young. I mean, you can do absolutely incredible things. And actually the closest thing to Moff Tarkin that I can think of that really impressed me was Oliver Reed. His scenes that were unfilmed for um, Gladiator, they took a bunch of 
shots of him and they used compositing to create the illusion of him having shot these scenes and that was amazing and I thought that could have really worked here in uh, in, in Rogue One um, I think when you've got nuances of performance and all those kind of things I think it's just it's such an impossible task to um, to do all that with um, with computer graphics and I think they had the best technology they had the best people to, to, to do the work I just for me it just didn't work I did really love though that they included Peter Cushing his image in the film and that they still have um, you know they still hold it in high regard after all these years and and um, I thought that's great so it's sort of this weird kind of catch-22 situation I think whereby the technology's not really there but you have to have him in it so um, yeah it's it's one of those things how about you Sean I I actually really liked uh, CGI Tarkin um, I would agree it's overused. Uh, it was certainly ambitious, but I I, I agree, with, uh, Tim. The um, we had the CGI Jeff Bridges in Tron that kind of was the start of developing this technology, and they've continued to push it uh, in Rogue One. And I agree, they've they've done the absolute best they can with the technology at the time. And yeah, in a few years we might look back on it and, and it'll be dated. But right now, I think it's particularly stunning and and actually works better on the small screen now if, if, you, if you've got the blu-ray or the dvd i think it, it works better because it's not on such a big screen and under such um uh, you're not looking at it with as much detail i suppose sure um you're not looking as closely and i think what was really good it was down to the lighting i think they they the way they shot it was was brilliant and I know that they had they had a plan. If it didn't work, they they were going to do something else. But they thought, well, let's let's see if it works. And I think it does work. And I think uh, what Tim was saying about nuances of performance. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine, uh, his his kind of view on it is it is it looks great, but they but they've taken so much of that detail and they've looked so much at Peter Cushing's nuances and little facial tics that actually they put a bit too much in and they actually they they do it a bit too much um because they're trying too closely to to do it um but i think it's great i think it's important not just from a practical standpoint because this film directly leads into a new hope so if it had been a couple of years before you could have got away with recasting but this is literally five minutes before. Yeah. Uh, and you so so it should be the same actor, uh, and recognisably the same. I think Guy Henry does um, give a superb performance. I think his I think his delivery is superb. I think he really captures what Cushing did without making it um, uh, too much mimicry and too much of a, a kind of a pantomime. Um, I, I think it's really great, and yeah, I liked it. <laughs> no, I was surprised how much uh, he was in. It. I mean, I thought I thought he looked fine. I thought first of all, I was really excited. There was another Peter Cushing film in the cinema. That was exciting. And when they said they were going to do it, that was good. It was great to see him on the big screen again. You can tell it's CGI. It's got that slightly plasticky look and the slightly yeah. jerky movements. All CGI. Ah, but that technology will be refined, I'm sure, over the years. Um, yeah, I, th- I think, yeah. I mean, Guy Henry's an actor I've always liked anyway. He's never been a big star, but he's, he's, he's cropped up in things. He's always been really good. I think it's weird that we were talking about Guy Henry on this podcast a few mm. months ago, and then the news came through that Guy Henry is actually playing <laughs> Peter Cushing. He does sound like him. Yeah, I think, I think it works. I think it has to be in it. 
simply for the sake mm-hmm. of the narrative. It has to be in it yeah. because it leads into Star Wars. So it has to be there. Um, I don't think you could recast it. It would be too confusing if you had a different explain Tarkin and then... So, yeah, I, I, I... Yeah, no, I thought it was great. I thought... And I think he would have been pleased with it as well. Yes. I think he would have been delighted to have been making films for... Uh, I think we were, we were saying earlier about how it's a shame they killed him mm. um, and he couldn't appear in the sequels. He said that himself. Yeah. Um, but, you know, much like the second Indiana Jones film, if they had decided that the, the next Star Wars movie was set a year before rather than a year after, <laughs> he could have been in it. And if it was this, I think he would have loved the role. I think that Tarkin's character has a better role, to be honest, in, in Rogue One. Than he did in Star Wars. He he does, and he and he steals the film from Krennic. Um, yeah, I have to say I agree with that. What you said before, I thought Krennic was a, a weak villain. I didn't like his performance. Well, I like Ben Mendelsohn's no, performance, I like his, but uh, no, I, I I liked him, but I think it's made by the interplay with him and Tarkin. Yeah. If it was just Krennic on his own as the main villain, yeah, I don't think he would have. I I think that right. I think the problem that Krennic has um, is he is brilliant. In that opening prologue, he has that real sense of menace. He's trying to be likable and nice, and and you know just the way he delivers that line after Mads Mikkelsen says, "Oh, my, my wife's dead," and then he sees and goes, "Oh, oh look, Lyra's back from the dead. It's a miracle." And the way he just, <laughs> the way he just spits it out with such venom um, is is great. But then the film jumps ten years, where he, Krennic is now at the end of his career, being usurped by everyone, and Tarkin is stealing the limelight from him. That it actually then robs Krennic's sure. villainy because he doesn't then get to be the, the this big villain that we'd been promised, and also you know, I I, I know a couple of people who have worked on these films and I know that they had a lot of a lot of things it was it was a difficult production they were constantly having to reshape the narrative and how they were telling the story so there was going to be less Tarkin there was going to be more Tarkin it's going to be less Krennic Krennic was going to have a different story um uh so I think the film suffers in that regard there, there are certain there are certain roles that and performances that suffer because of the the way that that production kept changing, and I know a friend as well who absolutely loved what they did with Tarkin, but it also completely took her out of the film because I think it yeah because you you you're, you're too busy admiring it mm. to yeah. just go with it. I'd agree with that. I don't think it spoiled the film for me, but I did no. enjoy those scenes in a different way than I enjoyed the rest of it. Yes. Um, my sense about it was I, I loved that element of it, and I loved seeing Peter Cushing on the big screen. Um, there were moments like, he'll make fire when ready, <laughs> that I just, I was like punching the air almost. At other times, and I'm just amazed that he had, that essentially he's the main villain of the film. Yeah. Um, and I thought that was a lovely tribute. He gets that lovely credit at the end where it says uh, Governor Tarkin, Guy Henry, but then it says the producers would like to acknowledge the, the work of Peter Cushing OBE. And, you know, all heartwarming stuff. And it, it did make me think, I, I'm not too sure about the whole idea of kind of using CGI to resurrect dead actors, but I think if, if you do that with anyone, you should do it with Peter Cushing. I think 
I think it's it, it's only ever justified in this context. I think mm. if if I was to make a film now and I want to put Orson Welles in it, then that would be just for the hell of that. Be that would be wrong. Yeah. Um, and I just remember that's what Sky Captain the World of Tomorrow did, and that was <laughs> with Lawrence Olivier. Yeah, uh, that Sorry, was awful. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Um, but with Star Wars, actually makes sense because Peter Cushing, I think, completely made Grand Moff Tarkin uh, from a narrative and a chronological point. It makes sense. Yeah, that's when it's justified, and that's when he used that technology because it's a storytelling choice. It's not a choice of um, we can. Yeah. So. But I think people will do. I think there will be, or people certainly would like to have new films with Humphrey Bogart, Marilyn Monroe, and people like that. And I think as the technology will improve. It, over like time. the 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 chocolate advert with, with Audrey Hepburn. With yeah, Audrey that's Hepburn. what I've been thinking yeah. of. And um, now, you know, there's a whole ethical thing. Would Audrey Hepburn have wanted to be in an advert for? She never did any adverts at no. that time. So. Well, would she want to be in a, an advert for chocolate? Most of the, of the productions that have resurrected deceased actors have been adverts for stuff, mm. and that's I think Steve McQueen was one. Heinous, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. And, uh, w- which was actually directed by Peter Yates. Oh, well. so that was weird. Um, but uh, some I don't know. Maybe you would have said yes to it if, he, if Peter Yates was doing it. Who knows? But um, yeah, uh, sorry, Sean, you look like you're. About uh, I was about to say. Um, but yeah, the the biggest challenge that the Rogue One team had uh, was there were no full body shots of Peter Cushing. Uh, f- they they used a lot of reference material from A New Hope, but there were no full body shots of Peter Cushing because Peter Cushing did the whole film in his slippers. Mm. His sure. boots were too tight. Uh, his, t- his boots were too yeah. tight. <laughs> so, so I think it, it's kind of amazing what, what they were able to do with incomplete reference material as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'd just like to say this to kind of uh, respond to a comment by another podcaster, um, Arnie, on the uh, Now Playing podcast, who I'm pretty sure doesn't listen to our podcast, <laughs> but he is one of the biggest Star Wars fans in the world, so maybe he, he, he'll find out about this episode, who knows. He was he didn't like the CGI talking, and he was saying, look... Ten years ago, uh, they cast another actor as Tarkin in Revenge of the Sith. And then they just digitally altered his face a little yeah, bit. Yeah, he, he was a guy called Wayne Pigram. Mm-hmm. Although, I remember at the time, th- there was photos of his digitally altered face and, and some rumours that it was actually Christopher Eccleston. It wasn't. <laughs> um, so, yes, I mean, because they did bring... Obviously, they brought Mon Mothman back from that. Film. Yes, with, with a new actress. But, but also not a new actress. Because she, uh, the actress who played Mon Mothra in Rogue One had also been cast no, as, as Mon Mothra in, in Event, Episode Event 3. So, yeah, yeah, so they brought her back. So you're saying, well, why couldn't they bring the other guy back? Mm-hmm. But I think there's a difference between um, bringing back Genevieve O'Reilly, playing a, a younger version of Caroline Blakiston, yeah. to having Wayne Pigram, who didn't even say a line, and I don't know what he's like as an actor, to suddenly being Peter Cushing ten minutes before Star Wars. I yeah. think it still would have been a bit of a leap. Um I think it's justified by the narrative. In Rogue One, it's justified by the narrative. Yeah. You have to have Tarkin there because he it, because it, it, it leads on to Star Wars. And it's justified to have a different actress as Mon Mothman because chronologically there's about uh, six years between uh, A New Hope and Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Um, in terms of could they have done it any better, I think they... I know that Rogue One had a very troubled production that, as you said, the story was being mm. shifted around all the time. I think they could have had a much simpler story and they could have found a way to have Tarkin involved but not as to the foreground. Uh, I think uh, uh, our friend Ross was saying he should have been like just a hologram 
that kept appearing and then only turns up in person on the Death Star at the end, so you only have like 30 seconds where you see him interacting directly with other people. Um, and, and and I think, you know, the, the whole film could have been simplified in a lot of ways. I think there's too much going on, there's too many characters. I mean, my feeling about it is it, it could have been so much better, but that doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it. I was, I was completely into it, even when I didn't really know what was happening. Which is quite a lot of the time. I, I, I don't know if I agree. I mean, yes, you absolutely could have uh, had Tarkin in hologram uh, through most of it, and that would have worked fine. It probably would have worked better for most people. But in terms of, particularly that first scene with uh, with Krennic mm. and they're watching the the laser being. Oh, that was a great together. entrance and a and great that was moment. Great, and they could have yeah. just done it with his back to the window the whole time, but yeah. to actually have him turn around and have him. And I think you needed that because for Krennic to have a storyline, you needed really to have him be directly interacting and be face to face, have his power be taken away from him. That makes sense. I, I'm, I'm semi-convinced by that and your comments are making me want to go back and watch the <laughs> film again. So, uh, yeah, so that's appropriate. Well, what I haven't done yet is watch Rogue One and go on straight into A New Hope. Right. Largely because as much as Star Wars is my favourite film, it's the film I've seen the least. Because I can't just watch Star Wars. I then have to put the other three on. Right. And and God help me if I start with Phantom Menace, because right. then I have to watch all six of them. Uh, at least with Rogue One, I can kind of just watch it on my own. Mm. It's a strange kind of standalone film, I suppose, yes. in, it's a, with a bleak ending. Um I'm not just going back to that point earlier about whether you would you like Star Wars more or less without Peter Cushing, um, and I said I would like it. I'd probably like it less, but at the same time, my favourite Star Wars film is The Empire Strikes Back. I know that's not a very mm-hmm. controversial opinion, yeah. but that's the one that doesn't have Lee or Cushing in it. Those are not the guys that attract me to Star Wars. <laughs> I'm attracted to Star Wars because it's a great adventure with great characters, and uh, and Darth Vader is a great villain. I think he's, and even though we're sad that. Um, Gushing disappears. Vader is wonderful as the villain in, in the Empire yes. Strikes Back. And the Empire Strikes Back does have the Imperial March. is one of the greatest pieces of film music ever written by anybody. Yeah, yeah. that, that yeah. is the, the shame of 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 Duke and Tarkin is they don't really get their own musical themes. There's kind of a little. Uh, we were talking about John Williams' music earlier. There's a little motif for the Death Star, which kind of maybe also fits for Tarkin. Uh, Michael Giacchino certainly reuses it. In that scene, with um, as as Tarkin looks at the Death Star at the end of that scene in in Rogue One, where he's introduced, you actually hear the the Death Star. Is it uh, that bit that goes da da da? Yes, it's how the scene it's how the scene ends. Right, nice. Okay, and finally, I I would just like to say, is there anything else that we'd all like to say about these films that we haven't yet mentioned? And we'll start with Tim, because obviously he's not here. So he can't wax lyrical. One of the other things about Cushing's involvement, which is kind of fun, uh, and Dan and I have spoken about this before in the past, is that during the kind of 70s and 80s period when they were making these big Hollywood films in England, and I think mostly because of economic reasons, you know, you had your Superman, your your Batman, your uh, your Star Wars, your Indiana Jones, all these films... Um, they kind of, even though they were they were American films and they were shot here, they downplayed the English involvement in terms of the cast. And when you look at the Force Awakens now, this you know the new the new, the, the, the latest one, 
you've got the two main characters, uh, John Boyega and, and Daisy Ridley, and, and Daisy Ridley's got her English accent, but she's doing this kind of gee whiz kind of American character. And um, you've got John Boyega, who's doing a total American accent. And uh, the, they did the reverse back then. They'd have, you know, your Carrie Fisher, your Mark Hamill and, and Harrison Ford. They'd be your, your up front and center. They'd be your principal characters. And then for the support parts, for the sagely wizard type and these kind of, you know, uh, you know, the big pantomime villain, you've got you've got your Cushing. But because um, it's in an alien universe, you you kind of you, you have some flexibility with that. But you they, they kind of play these older archetypes that are in the background. Uh, you know, and in Superman, you had uh, Krypton, you know, they got around it with Krypton. So they made all the crypto- Kryptonian actors English. So it's, uh, you know, they, they become like aliens. And in um, uh, Return to Oz as well, they had Gene Marsh and they had Nicole Williamson who were doing their uh, Gnome King and Princess Mombi. Uh, and, and those characters, um, you know, they, they, they kind of moved between, you know, they had very English theatrical accents when they were the villains. They're playing dual roles in those films. Um, and so, yeah, they'd, they'd play around that. But then they, you'd have all of these kind of um, uh, American actors who were based in England. You had Shane Rimmers, John Ratzenberger, uh, William Hootkins, these these kind of uh, performers. And um, and they'd, you know, they, they were, ten, I guess they were, they were English citizens. So they got to, you know, they, they kind of helped this, uh, I think it was a rule that um, the, the English uh, Actors Union had, where you had to have a certain quota of, of English uh, actors. Of course, now it's changed. Now you've got things like uh, Gary Oldman playing Commissioner Gordon in the, in the Batman films. And uh, yeah, and they, they've, and as I said, with the, with the Star Wars films, you've got those uh, English characters kind of up front. But yeah, it was, it was kind of a different, different world back then where they, you know, they downplayed that. And um, so yeah, it was fun with um with Guinness that he's he's this sage like wizard and, and you know, Cushing is is this you know, this big sort of fascist bureaucrat type. And I, I thought that was you know, it was fun that they uh, that they positioned uh, you know, those those kind of bigger actors in, in the in those parts. Um uh, yeah and, and as I said, the uh, those two, you know, Cushing and and, uh, and Guinness, they were the biggest stars of those of Star Wars at that time before the you know the three cast members became the huge stars that that kind of uh, sold the movies and and became big names elsewhere. Sean, have you got anything you'd like to say that you haven't covered? No, uh, all I know now is that I had lots I wanted to get done tonight, and I feel like I'm going to end up <laughs> just watching Star Wars instead. Uh, right. Oh, I'm sorry uh, about that. But no, uh, you. I it, it's a burden that I think I'll live with. <laughs> right. How about you, Howard? Star Wars was the film that introduced me to the whole exciting world of cinema. It was the first time I went to the cinema. Yeah. It was so exciting. Uh, and it introduced, um, I think, m- most of my friends who were the same age as me, mm-hmm. an entire generation to go to the cinema, to get into the, you know, and it was so exciting. And it reminds me of lots of happy times in my life. It's a, it's a happy film. It's a great film. It's a great piece of entertainment. Um, and I'm so, I'm really so... It was it hated Star Wars? Did you say? My mum. I don't know how anybody can hate it. It's such a feel-good film. It's so exciting and it's so you know, life-affirming. I mean, I love it because of my mum's perspective. I can sort of see being annoyed by it. And that there was an interview with John Sessions a few years ago where he said that he doesn't like Star Wars. And yeah, um, he, he said, well, he just sounded just like my mum. He said, somebody please explain to me the point of Star Wars. It's like watching endless kitchen units exploding. 
No, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and I could sort of see that in a way. I think my mum is generally indifferent to Star Wars, but I I don't know if she's a massive fan of the music, largely because that's all she would hear from my bedroom, <laughs> or just from me humming uh, for the last uh, 20 years. Even after I moved out, I think she can just still hear it echoing around huh. the house. Well, Star Wars is the only film I've ever seen with my mum in the cinema. She came along that first time, and she liked it. She's, she's by no means a science fiction uh, enthusiast, but she, she enjoyed it. She thought... It, she loved that scene as well at the beginning. She said, I'll never forget that scene where the big spaceship comes. Yeah, so right. I think it's a great film. Uh, it's great fun, great imagination, and some it deserves great all the popularity and all the adulation it's had over these last and forty years. Although I'm f- afraid that we're going to reach saturation point now that they're making them again mm. and it's everywhere again. I'm I'm still sort of glad that they are making them again. Um, I, I want to keep going back to those worlds, and I guess I am going to be doing every mm. Christmas until I die. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right, guys, thank you very much. That was thank lovely. You. Yeah, thank you, Sean. Really nice no. guest. Thank you, Sean. No, I'll do come guest. again. I'm always fact, happy to talk about Star Wars. Well, and in fact, yeah. I think we can probably explain that uh, you're not only our guest but our host because we're mm. in your house. So thank you very much yes, yes. for having us. Yeah, you're, you're more than welcome. And come back soon. No, no, you'll have to come back. (laughs) (laughs) So there we are. Hope you enjoyed that. That's the end of our archive Star Wars discussion. And the updated section with Spider Dan and Sean will be released in a couple of days. However, this episode is not quite over yet. So as is customary at the end of an episode, I have a recommendation. My recommendation right now is Midnight Mass, the streaming series on Netflix. It's a year old, and in fact, on our podcast, both Kirsty and Ian have recommended it in the past. But as usual, I'm a bit of a slow coach with these things, and it took me a while to watch it. And in fact, um, because... I'm a Catholic and I'm familiar with what the title Midnight Mass means. I decided I would start watching it at midnight on Christmas Eve when Midnight Masses take place. Um, There's perhaps a philosophical discussion to be had about whether I should have really been going to Midnight Mass at that time or just watching a series called Midnight Mass. However, I will find that out with my conscience. But I did start watching that show and... Uh, quite enjoyed it so far. I've only seen the first episode and I'm not always overly fond of the kind of streaming model of very slow burn horror. However, Midnight Mass is really well done and beautifully characterised and written. So I'm finding it entirely compulsive so far and I really look forward to seeing the remaining five hours of it, I think. Um, And I'm, I'm relishing Um, being absorbed in that I actually love a detailed slow moving character based drama and that's what this seems to be so far coupled with the filmmaking precision that we've come to expect I think from the writer director Mike Flanagan so nice recommendation Ian and Kirsty I thoroughly second it yeah um, there doesn't seem to be any Christmas content in it as yet however it is called Midnight Mass Um, And that happens at Christmas, so I I think that will become relevant. Okay, so we're nearly at the end of this episode, but I have another little nugget of Christmas content for you. So, um, I'm also involved in a sketch comedy group 
called The Faces at the Window. I write for it. Um, This Christmas, The Faces at the Window um, are releasing as part of their comedy podcast a new comedy sketch or two every day of Christmas. So that's for the 12 days of Christmas from Christmas Day to January the 6th. The first episode went out yesterday and I thought it would be appropriate to include one of the sketches from it here because it's about Christmas movies and of course Star Wars often come out at Christmas. They're often on TV at Christmas or at least they used to be. Um, And the two things have just become connected. There are various debates about what constitutes Christmas film and that's the subject of this sketch which is actually written by Edward Barry who is the actor who provides the sonorous voiceover for our credits on every episode and also his voice is going to be the first voice that you hear now. The sketch also features the wonderful actress Victoria May. I hope you enjoy it and if you do uh, please check out the rest of the series You can find The Faces at the Window on most podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. Um, On Twitter, it's at The Window Faces. And the website is www.thefacesatthewindow.com. And you can find everything that, that we produce there. So, hope you enjoy. And I will be back in a few days with an updated Star Wars discussion for you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. And now, in a tradition as old as forcing down a mouthful of Christmas pudding before throwing the rest in the bin where it belongs, the annual argument about what constitutes a Christmas film. Go on, then. What's your favourite Christmas film? (laughs) Die Hard. Not a Christmas film. A set at Christmas. Oh, yes. The great Christmas tradition of lobbing German corpses off a building. So, you need more than for a film to be just set at Christmas. It's about making you feel a certain way. It's about family, redemption, magic. But not Jesus. Jesus was magic. (laughs) You got me there. So what's your (laughs) favourite film? It's a wonderful life. Predictable. Achingly predictable. Well, what about a film that features magic, family and redemption, but isn't set at Christmas? That would embody the quiddity of a Christmas film without necessarily being calendar-specific. Example? I don't know. Jaws? Jaws isn't magic. I think you'll find it was box office magic. And it's certainly about a family, and there are bits of redemption. You can't have Jaws. All right, but you accept the premise that the way a film makes you feel is more important to its status than its festive setting. It still needs to be set at Christmas. Who's Christmas? Oh, you're just being bloody ridiculous now. No, I'm, I'm not. Do you mean Christmas as established after the 4th century AD? And if we mean Christ's birthday, well, some scholars believe it was actually in March. So are we counting spring set films, in which case we can have Ferris Bueller's Day Off? A school bully masquerading as a popular anti-hero, arrogating a friend's dad's sports car, and the inevitable off-screen filicide of Cameron? Your argument... Is that a Christmas film? It might have been to Emperor Constantine. And that's another thing. What about people who aren't Christian? You know perfectly well 
that Christmas is both a secular and religious holiday. Even Lahore hosts Christmas celebrations. You are not going down this trite faux shop, Daily Mail-esque route. <laughs> Winterfall. Oh, do shut up, Mark. You're being very quiet, Martin. What's your favourite Christmas film? Santa with muscles. Mark! That wasn't very Christmassy. It will be if we lop his corpse off the building. This will feel much more Christmassy on the roof. Grab his feet. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Howard Whittock and T.D. Velasquez. With special guests, Sean Mason and Tim Mc... Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at and now pod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at and now podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash and now podcast. And now the podcast stops.